Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all of you moms, all of you who have a mom, all of you who are a grandmom, a stepmom, a foster mom, want to be a mom. Oh, this is the day for all of you. So uh, great to be here with you. And also we have moms in the room, which is super cool. Love that as well. And so it's just a great day all the way around to celebrate moms and all that they bring to our lives. Now, before I get underway, funny little story I have to tell. So in the room, we have the Dill family, we have the Abbott family, and Jessica's in the room, which this is the funny part of the story. So Jessica, you're being like singled out right now. So, um, so a couple of months ago, uh, I went with my daughter to give blood. And so we're, we're in the room and this young woman comes over to me and says, hi, Pastor Matt. And I'm clueless. And here's what I've realized about COVID. We've talked about different side effects of COVID. One is time travel, right? Because when this started, Jessica Dill was not a young woman to me. She was still a girl. But when this young woman walked up to me, I'm like, she's grown up. It freaked me out. So I want to confess, when I first didn't recognize, you were just like, there's a woman approaching me. And that's what happens in a year. So it was amazing, but I finally connected the dots. I'm like, oh, it's just, she's grown up. I just didn't realize it's been a long 12 months. So uh, anyway, but yeah, and now you're in the room. It's super cool. So, hey, I'm going to go ahead and pray because I've got things off the rails at this point. Why not try to put it back on the rails and pray? And then we're going to get right into our business for the day. So let's just go ahead and do it together. Jesus, I thank you for our families that are with us today. I thank you for our families that are watching with us. And I thank you for the moms and the investment they make. I, I can't help but think about the fact that it is this journey that when you enter into it, you never are able to turn back from it. It is a lifelong journey at that point. The majority of your life will be under that label of mom. And with that, it'll be a journey, not only trying to impart things to your kids, but it's going to be a journey in your own life as a mother. You're going to learn many things, face many things. You're going to deal with tragedy. You're going to deal with joy. You're going to feel very insecure in all of that. And then you're going to try to figure out how your securities in Christ. I mean, all of that is just the road that happens in motherhood. And so I know with many of our moms that are watching now, there are different points in that journey and facing different things. And I pray for a special measure of your grace and your fortitude and your endurance uh, as they live out their, uh, their calling in this world. And so I thank you that you love moms and bless them. And I pray today as we are reflecting on just strong women uh, throughout your scripture and a particular woman today, that again, we are just reminded of the qualities that all of us desire to embody, not simply uh, moms, but all people can be these types of things. And so Jesus, we just thank you again for the opportunity we have today and for the grace you show us in your good and perfect name. Amen. All right, well, I was, I was thinking about this morning and kind of how to kind of start things off or whatever else. I was reminded of the idea that I, I love words, right? I love words. I love how they sound. I love the definitions of words. I love the etymology of words, which is basically the journey a word is made from way back with our ancestors up until today. And so all of that is super fun. And so I was thinking about just like the sounds of words. Like think about words they are fun to say, like kerfluffle. That's a good word, right? Like that's just a fun word to say. Or uh, maybe another one would be something like, I got a list here, nincompoop. Oh, that is a good word. That's just the one you want to use all the time. Lollygagging. I just want to use it just because it's just a fun word to say, right? So those are good ones. Uh, bumper shoot, which by the way, Caesar is not just like some art and music thing here in Seattle. 
originally a bumper shoot was an umbrella. And so I think we should get back to calling them bumper shoots instead of umbrellas. That would just make everybody's day a little bit more happy. So I also, like I said, love etymologies, which is just, again, the journey a word is made. And so if you were to travel back to like London in the 15th century and you were to meet somebody and ask them for some help to give you directions because you didn't know how you ended up there or where you needed to go. And then they explained some things to you. And at the end of that, you said, thank you so much. You are the nicest person I've ever met. They probably would throw a punch you at that point because nice in their culture at that time meant they were ignorant. So nice has sort of evolved over the course of time, right? And so today, if you know somebody that's ignorant, but you don't want to say to their face, you just say, you're the nicest person I've ever met. It's going to go fine at that point. You kind of know the code in your own mind. It works out pretty nicely. So I love words. I broker in words. I get excited about words. And some of my favorite words are just short little words that say a lot, right? So words like gumption or panache. Ooh, that is a lovely word right there, right? So little words that say a lot mean a lot to me. And I find that sometimes when I look at certain characteristics, when they're all bundled together, they fall under a single type word. And so the word for today, as I was thinking about Mother's Day and kind of the story we're going to look at is one of my favorites. I don't use it enough. It's a word that you're going to want to use in your life more and more. It's the word moxie. Yes, moxie is the word. And moxie is a great word because as soon as soon as you hear it, you know what it's talking about. It's capturing that idea of character and tenacity and drive and focus and just this unrelenting desire to complete a goal. So it's like having nerve when you feel nervous, right? It's feeling this, uh, this sense of, you know what, you can keep persisting even when you want to quit. And so that is the moxie of so many people I read about in the Bible, especially when I think about the women of the Bible, whether it be single young women, whether it be moms, whether it be grandmas, whatever it is. So often when I look at their stories, what I find is that spirit of moxie that drives them forward. In fact, just some of the women I was thinking about this week are women uh, such as Ruth. Right? Here's this woman that, that lives in a far-off land. It's a pagan culture. She marries an Israelite man that's kind of, kind of temporarily in the country. He dies. His brother dies. His father dies. They all die. And yet in her moxie, she binds herself to her mother-in-law, leaves her country and kin, and goes to a far-off land where she embraces the Israelite God and the Israelite way of life. That's moxie. In fact, even when you read her story, you see where she then meets this man named Boaz and her mother-in-law is like, okay, you need to pursue that guy, which in that culture was a very risky thing to do. You were seen as a bit forward as a woman if you were pursuing the man, but she's got moxie. And from that, there's this great story and lineage that leads up to King David. See, that's the stuff I love. Those are the stories I love, right? Think about Esther. Here's this woman who, who, again, gets thrust into something that she wasn't expecting. Her very nation is going to be obliterated, wiped off the planet. And yet with moxie, she comes to that realization of, wait, for such a time as this, God has equipped me. And so she faces not only fear and rejection, but the potential for execution and death. But she does it anyway. And from that, her people are delivered. See, that's the spirit of moxie. Or I think about the mother of King Lemuel, which is somebody you may not be very familiar with, but if you go to Proverbs 31, what you're reading there is the wisdom of a mother to her son who is a king. 
And I love it because she has the courage and the focus to sit her son down and say, you know what, you're going to be king soon. And when you become king, here's some things you need to know, you need to do. You need to have virtue, you need to have values, you need to treat women right. You need to do things in a prudent and wise way so you serve people well. That is a mother who had moxie. Or I think about Mary. Here's this young teenage girl and God sends a messenger to her and says, you're, not, you're, gonna, you're gonna birth the savior of the world. And in doing this, she knows she's probably going to be rejected by her community. She's going to have a poor reputation in the eyes of the people around her because they're gonna be like, oh, well, she sort of became a mom before she was actually married. That's a bad thing. And yet, what does she say? I am the Lord's servant. And the Lord has been good and kind to me. I will do as you please. That's moxie. And when you go through the gospel stories, it's more women with moxie. It's a woman who comes to Jesus so overwhelmed with gratitude because he has rescued her from a broken life and she's weeping at his feet and she's wiping her feet with her tears and her hair. And the religious leaders are looking at her like, oh, you are terrible. You should go away. You should skulk off in shame because of what you're doing. And yet she stays and she worships because she... She has moxie. In fact, even all of that kind of posse of women who were always with Jesus, they were with him all of the time. Even when he faces his trial, he goes to his cross, he's laid in a tomb, and those two women come on that first Sunday when he rises again. Again, you see there is this drive, this focus, this courage, this want, and I think that is, that's moxie all the way around. And what I think is particularly interesting about all of these stories of women throughout the Bible is when you understand their culture and the world that they lived in, they, they did not have the same amenities as the men did, right? They didn't have the same status and power. They didn't have the same control or autonomy or liberties that the men of their lives did. And so all the more, that's why I love this, because they always seem to demonstrate this sense of inspiration and drive that sometimes you would say, well, wait, the world's not wired in such a way to make that easy for you to do. And the fact that it wasn't easy and they did it anyway, that's what I think is so profound. In fact, something that even struck me this week when I was kind of getting ready and I was thinking about all these different stories of women, it, it, I was moved by this simple idea that when you read the stories of many of the heroes that are the men of the Bible, so Abraham or David or you know, Peter, I mean, you pick your, your character. So often in their stories, you see their flaws and their weaknesses too. But in the stories of the women so often, that doesn't come out. It's, it's not to say that, that men have more flaws and women have less flaws, but I think there's something in there that God gives us these little gems and jewels that we can appreciate that, again, we're given these stories of beauty and strength and grace. And with that, we can all be inspired. Every one of us, right? They're not just stories for women to be inspiring toward other women, but they're stories of godly people that can inspire all. And with that, I want to focus on a very simple story today that I think is very inspiring for all of us, and it's the story of a woman. It's a story of a woman who eventually becomes a mom, but doesn't start off as a mom, and her name is Hannah. And so we see Hannah's story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. And in that story, I see a woman with moxie. Because her story starts off as a woman who isn't a mom yet, but hungers to be a mom yet apparently cannot become a mom because God has not made that possible. And so her story is sort of a story that starts off dark and kind of sad and, and frankly, just a hard story to fully wrap our minds around. 
So let me give you some background to this. So it's early in the uh, kind of the, the days that are going to lead to the king of Israel, which means it's leaving off from the judges and it's moving toward the kings. And when you read the story in the Old Testament of the judges, you see it just gets progressively darker and harsher and more brutal as each passing judge comes to power. So it's God's chosen people, but the leaders of God's people really don't demonstrate the things of God at all. And so it's gotten bleak, it's gotten bad, and now there's a famine. I mean, there's all these problems that are going on, right? So just surrounding Hannah's life is darkness. But then you look at her particular circumstance and situation, and it's a little bit dark as well. Because here's this scene where there's this woman, and she's married to this man, but that man is also married to another woman. And so she has to share her marriage, right? And in that, what we begin to realize is the, the reality of the sister wife that she has is this woman has not come into her life to be an encouragement to her or a blessing to her. In fact, if anything, she's a downright drag in the life of Hannah. In fact, this sister wife, it says in verse 6, would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same, right? Penaniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even be able to eat. And so with this story, you see layers of pain, right? That's really what we're going to see here from the outset. Because in their culture, to not have kids for a woman meant to not have value or worth or a sense of like purpose in life. For the Israelite people, to be a woman meant you had offspring and you continued the lineage of Abraham and you had children who could handle the farm and do the crops and do all the chores that needed to happen. So if you don't have that in your life and you are not, po- or it doesn't, you don't have the possibility of doing that, then automatically it's just like your cultural status had dropped as a woman. And so she bears that burden. Then on top of it, there's this reality that she was probably the first wife couldn't have kids for a long time. So her husband decides to bring on this second woman because frankly, while it says he loves his wife, he doesn't seem to love her enough to protect her from the burden of a second wife. So he brings the second wife into the relationship so he can have the kids and have the status that he needs in his culture. And so that is a burden as well. And then of all the people this man could marry to bring into their family, he finds somebody from the cast of Mean Girls, right? It's like, I'm gonna find the, the girl that's the cruelest and then make her have to get along with my wife. And so again, there's just more burden and grief. And while her name means precious stone, she's just frankly just a real gem of a person in this family dynamic. And so she's constantly riding Hannah, berating Hannah, teasing Hannah, and just driving Hannah to dark places. And so from the story, we see that she is barren, bullied, and broken. What's truly sad is that her husband wasn't much help. He says to her in verse 8, why are you crying, Hannah, right? Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you don't have children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? See, this guy, I'm sure he means well. I think he's trying to figure out the right words to say. But it does come across as a little insensitive and egotistical, right? Because again, you think about the whole scene. He brings another woman into their marriage, brings in a woman who constantly knocks down his first wife, 
and then looks at his first wife and says, come on, just get over it. What's the big deal? You got me. I'm awesome. I got guns. Like, I don't know what he's shooting for here, but ultimately it's not going to bring reassurance or joy to Hannah's life. It's just another reminder that, you know what? Yeah, just get over it. You should just deal with your pain differently. I'm enough for you, right? Let's, let's just move forward in life and make the best of it. That's where things are at. But here's the thing about Hannah that I love so much. Her name literally means grace. Grace. And I think her grace is her moxie. Because all the way through the story, if you read it just from stem to stern, what you see is that Hannah never retaliates. She never lashes out. She never bites back. She never feels like she needs to stand her ground by knocking other people down. She does not curse God. She does not curse people. But she just stands with this sense of elegant, gracious strength. And I think it's that spirit of grace that is her moxie. It's that spirit of grace that helps her face hurtful problems. But to do that, it requires real strength and real focus and real courage, right? And so she seeks to exhibit those types of things. And we see some of that as it comes in the form of a very painful prayer that she brings starting in verse 9. It says, Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. And there Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. And there Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And there she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. And he will be yours for his entire lifetime as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord. Now, now here's why I'm, I'm digging Hannah here. First thing is her prayer is emotional and unfiltered, right? I mean, think about the location. She's at the tabernacle. She's at the most sacred location in all of Israel. When you're at a sacred location, there's this expectation of decorum and kind of responsibility, but she's just like pouring it all out. She's unashamed. She's like, I'm coming to God. This is where he is. I'm just going to put it all out there. I'm going to put it out there in the way that I feel it and the way that I sense it. I have a deep need and God is the only one who can meet that need. That's the first thing that really stands out to me. The second thing that I love about Hannah and I learned from Hannah in this is she's going to the very God who earlier we read has shut her womb. He has kept her from being pregnant. I want you to think about how profound that is for a minute. Because in one very real sense, her plight, her pain, she looks at that and very much God is to blame, right? The Lord had kept her from having, that's what it says. So the storyteller here is telling us, God has not made this possible for her. And yet in that, while she can say, God, you're to blame. Why do you do this? This is unfair. She doesn't blame God. She doesn't blame God. That's an amazing thing to me. And while she could implicate him, instead she simply implores him, God, be my solution. Be my help. Be my aid. Be my kind of need creator here and need fulfiller. I think that that describes moxie right there, right? And then she says, basically, if you give me this gift of a son, I will give him back to you. God, if you grace me in this way, I'm asking for a big grace here. My name is Grace. I'm asking for grace. But if you grace me, God, I will turn around and seek to grace you. That's moxie. Well, it seems that as she was praying, there was the priest that was watching. And here he thinks the worst. 
says so as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her and then seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she must be drinking because that's always the natural first place to go, I guess, right? He says, must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. And so again, here's this woman. And this is why I love her, just her grit through the story because she's pouring her heart out to God, right? She's there at the house of God, dumping out all of her emotion before God. And her pastor looks at her and says, what are you doing? You've been pounding Jägermeister before you showed up to church. You're, you should be ashamed. Go away, stop doing this. Like she just gets accused of something without any investigation whatsoever, right? So again, just another tough scene in a tough life. And yet with this, how does she respond? She doesn't go all caring on him. She doesn't freak out. She doesn't yell and rant. No, she is a woman of grace and she responds with grace. She says, oh no, sir. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Again, what I love about this is the vulnerability and the transparency, Right? She could have said, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm fine. I'm not been drinking. Wipe her tears and walk away. But she just says, no, here's my plight. I'm just going to put it out there for the world. I don't care if everybody knows how I'm hurting. So I don't even really know you, Eli, but this is my stuff. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm desperate for. Again, that's moxie. And it sways Eli. He says, in that case, go in peace. I love that. Are you drunk? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Go in peace, right? May the God of Israel grant the request that you've asked of him And so she says, so thank you, sir. And then she went back and began to eat and she was no longer sad. And so the woman, without the appetite, she begins to eat. The woman of sorrow is no longer sad. And the woman who approached the tabernacle without any sense of hope now is walking away hopeful. Now, what I think is interesting about this is technically nothing has changed in her life. She still has no kids. She still has a sister wife that hates her. She still has an insensitive husband. All of that is still true in her life, but something has changed in her, right? It doesn't always need to be the conditions that are altered. Sometimes it just needs to be our heart, our perspective, our mindset, our trust in God that needs to be altered to make things better. It doesn't always mean our circumstances change, but certainly if the internals change, that's going to change so much. And what I really appreciate about her is instead of being the victim of God or man, which is easy for any of us to do, she resisted all of that in grace and she does what she can do and she prays and she asks and then she gets up and she moves forward. That to me, that's moxie. What's great about this is God honored her moxie. Verse 19 says, the Lord remembered her plea and in due time she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel For she said, I asked the Lord for him. Now here's a warning I want to give, right? We will pray. You moms will pray about a thousand different things. And in those prayers, it does not always mean that God will give you the child or God will rescue your kids from something or God will remove the pain in your life. That doesn't always happen. But when it does happen, like it happens here, man, there should be celebration. Because God is blessed. God has chosen to do something in such a way that has brought beauty and grace and just a sense of freshness to your life, right? That should be the celebration when it does come. And so for Hannah here, God has blessed her. 
And that blessing wasn't simply giving her the child, but from that, it was also removing some stigma. It was removing a sense of of shame. It was validating her in a culture that maybe wouldn't have validated her apart from a child. And so there's many different things that happen as God does this for her. But we also have to remember the promise that she made. God, if you bless me, I will bless you. If you show me this grace, I will return that grace to you. See, I think it's very easy for us to say something on the front end. God, if you do this in my life, I promise I will do X, Y, Z, and back to A and through the alphabet again. I will do all these things, God, if you just do this for me, please, please, please. And then God does something for us and we're like, oh, but my life is comfortable now. And maybe we don't follow through, right? That's the temptation. And I can see that would be the temptation for her, right? Like, I didn't know if God was really going to do it, but now that I have him, he means so much to me and everything else. And what do I do? Well, she's a woman of moxie. It says in verse 24, when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. There they brought along with them a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. And after sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, the pastor that said, hey, you drunk lady, what are you doing? Well, they brought him to that guy. And she says, sir, do you remember me? I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. I think the courage and conviction to keep your word even when it hurts, the people who do that, they have moxie right? All the way around, that's what you see in her life. And so she's willing to do the hardest thing of all. After all these hard things, she says, Lord, you've done for me, I will do for you. You've given to me, I will give to you. You have served me, God, so now I will serve you. And then she closes with a prayer. says, Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. This is so good. She says, I rejoice because you've given me joy. I am strong because you have strengthened me. I am vindicated for you have defined me and I am redeemed for you have blessed me. I, just all the way around, she's just oozing with gratitude to God for what he has done with her story. See, to me, my friends, that is the fruit then of a life lived with moxie, Right? Moxie for God, unto God, through God, and God taking care of you. And so everybody this morning that are watching, not just the moms or the women, but all of us, we want to learn from Hannah, right? We want to learn to be a people of grace and courage, conviction, prayer, vulnerability, and ultimately certainty. That God is our strength. God is our courage. He has given us what we need, and so we put all our need in him. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you for examples of great faith and great courage, especially when life is, is really challenging and painful, when really everything that's kind of going on in your world seems to not be going right, and yet there's still this desire to trust you and rely on you and please you and to not grumble and complain, boy, if there's anything that Hannah could have done, we could have read a story of a person just griping about everything, but she doesn't do that. Instead, she is imploring you for everything. 
And so I pray that we would learn from her, all of us, what it means to be a people of moxie. And we would let that drive us forward in life. We thank you, Jesus. And we praise you in your good name. Amen.